Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. The show is a proud media partner for the 11th Annual Media Excellence Awards, which are produced by Access Entertainment in Los Angeles, California. The Media Excellence Awards are recognized as the most influential awards show, honoring innovation and leadership in all things mobile entertainment, lifestyle, and technology. For more information on how to submit to these awards, please visit MediaXAwards.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Lee Carraher. She's the president, CEO, speaker, and author at Double Forte. Lee, welcome to the show. Kevin, it's so great to be with you. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I'm actually quite fascinated to get your opinions on a handful of things um, (laughs) that I'm kind of curious about. But maybe before we get into all that stuff, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Sure. I was born on the East Coast. I grew up in right outside of Boston and okay. then Providence, Rhode Island for high school, um, where I went to an all-girls Quaker school, which okay. uh, the longer I'm away from it, the more it is. Sh- I realized how much it shaped me. Uh, from there, I went to Carleton College in Minnesota. I decided to get out of New England um, for okay. college. What'd you uh, take which- and why? I was a, um, well, I am, I guess, a, my degree is a Bachelor of Arts in Medieval History. Interesting. Which... What, what, wait, wait, wait. What got you passionate <laughs> about that? Because it, it's, that's pretty cool. It is cool. I think it's cool. And I For use sure. it every day, just so you know. I use it every day. Um, the, you know, I went to school. My father was a, a surgeon and I had worked okay. in all his labs. He's academic as well. Uh, I'd worked in all his labs. I thought I was going to school pre-med and I got into my first pre-med class I was like I'm not gonna like this at all (laughs) (laughs) but my um but I had we all you all had to take um freshman seminar you know with just like 12 other people and I had signed up for Chaucer's England because I always I loved Chaucer and you know um the all the stories around the Arthurian legend and all that kind of stuff so I took um Chaucer's England and I just well we all failed our first paper like all of us f and I was so intrigued by that and um I love the I love the era I love just thinking about it and I said you know what I'm going to Carleton which is a great school Bachelor of Arts I might as well get as round as possible so (laughs) I decided to I didn't tell my father though for until I declared so I waited literally two years to tell my dad that I wasn't going to be a pre-med. And wow. I finally called him and I said, dad, I declared history today. He goes, oh, thank God. And I was like, you could have told me that before. <laughs> oh my gosh, I've been sweating it up for two years. <laughs> anyway, that is uh, That's where, amazing. I, where I went to school. And then uh, after that, I moved back to the Boston area to start my career in public relations. Very cool. Okay. So how did you go from kind of, what made you want to go into uh, public relations? So um, <clears throat> I had no idea what I was going to do after school. My my his, my degrees in history, my minor was in vocal music, and uh, both departments were like, "Oh, you could go pursue these careers. So you could be a historian, you could be uh, a singer, you know, you could be a performer." And what I knew about myself then, 
uh, was so happy that I had that insight then was that I'm not good at doing one thing, but okay. you're a historian, you are, you know, it's publisher parish, you're reading and you're writing and you're, I mean, that is just, and if you're singing, uh, that's a whole nother piece and uh, sure. you have to be just tunnel vision on either of those to have the uh, success you want. Uh, so my, I didn't, I was in despair, Kevin, I was, you know, I was 23, 22 in despair. Like, what am I going to do with my life? <laughs> right? Which is what I, I talked to sure. a lot of uh, graduates today. They're all the sure. same way. I'm like, I've yeah. lived through that. And my friend Ramona Advani, who had uh, been through school with me at Carleton, she said, you know, she was working in a production for company and she goes, I think you should go into PR. I'm like, what is PR? <laughs> That's amazing. I went over to the career center. So the year after I graduated, I worked at the college for a year. So okay. I, went over to the, um, I work, went over to the career center. There's a book, What is Advertising, right next to What is PR. So I took out this very thin volume and I read it and I was like, oh, I could do that. That sounds interesting. So that is how I got intrigued by the career. Um, interesting. And then uh, there are really four places in the country where there are lots and lots of agencies. Um, sure. And Boston felt uh, the best to me for a lot of re reasons. So um, I called my father's best friend, okay. who was a business lawyer in um, Boston. And I said, would you help me? He made me write a letter to him, like why he should help me, which he okay. Interesting. threw up on. I mean, this is back before email. <laughs> threw up on with red pen. He said, rewrite. He sent it back to me in a week, rewrite. So I rewrote it. And uh, was compelling enough for him to agree to help me. Um, and he basically worked his network. I mean, basically, he made a phone call. This is what happened. Uh, and sure. he, set up, uh, I, he set up for me 11 informational interviews. Okay. I stayed with him and his wife and his kids for a week. And I had those 11 informational interviews. Out of those, I got five offers of internships. And I took the one that paid me the most in high-tech PR. So that is how you go from historian in the medieval era to high-tech PR. <laughs> amazing. That's amazing. No, but to be fair, though, I think a lot of people get kind of their first jobs through connections, right? Like, I, I don't think there's anything wrong. A lot of people get all of their jobs through connections. <laughs> well, yes, there's, there's that too. I, I know I can't remember the last time I really applied for a job, which is interesting, right? But mm -hmm. so, yeah, no, that's cool. So walk me through kind of your journey up until kind of Double Forte and what you're doing now. Sure. So I started my career in Boston in high-tech PR, worked at a couple agencies, um, I think I was 27 and I was, it was winter and I was working, you know, getting to work at 6am, leaving work at 8pm, just sort of like, and all my friends had left the area that had gotten married and went back to school, got new jobs in other places in the country. Didn't really have any friend, active friends, except at work. Um, okay. And it was really dreary that year. Um, I went to the doctor, oh, sorry, blah, da, da, da. oh, you're sun sensitive. And, you know, you need to get out. I'm like, well, first of all, I can't get out. I mean, I'm working my boot talk off. And second of all, sure. it's raining and snowing. What are you talking about? <laughs> he goes, well, why don't you go to a tanning booth every day for the next couple of months? And I think okay. you'll feel better. I was like, I'm Irish. This is not a good thing. I'll be a French fry. And he just looked at me like I was crazy. And I looked at him like, who is this quack? Um, and I said, you know what? I'm going to move to California where the sun is. I mean, literally had that, that was my reaction. So, um, 
It's kind of like tanning every day, right? Kind of. Kind of. Sort of. There's more sun here. Uh, and I uh, asked my boss if I moved to California and uh, he was like, well, not really. I'm like, okay. And um, I called, then I went back to my desk and I called all the recruiters who'd been um, recruiting me. I was, at that time, I was doing high-tech PR in a very specific, well, C++ and object-oriented programming. Sure which was very new at the time. I was one of three or four people in the country doing this work. And this is, you know, as objects are about to take off. So I was, in, I was heavily recruited. So I just called them all. I said, get me to California. And literally eight weeks later, I was rolling into Los Angeles. Wow, Los that's Angeles, amazing. I thought I was going to end up in San Francisco because more of the technologies up here than down there. But I thought that, you know, once I met everybody, uh, I mean, I had a lot of opportunity, uh, but this was the best fit. Moved into LA, didn't know a soul in Los Angeles. This is right after the Rodney King riots, uh, literally sure. driving into Marina Del Rey with a National Guard uh, trucks on either side of me. And wow. I was like, maybe this isn't a good idea, but it was too late because there I was. <laughs> then I worked in an agency there, had a I mean, huge opportunities um, in that agency to work for some really innovative companies that for which I won every award. Frankly, there's, we didn't win. We didn't, there was an award we didn't win in those three years that I was at that agency. Very cool. uh, was recruited to um, Sega of America's agency. Very um, cool. And then, which was across town. And then from there recruited to Sega. So I moved in um, to work at Sega as a vice president of communications. And I worked there for five years. Um, okay. And then I left there when they decided to go forward with Dreamcast. Dreamcast was their last yeah. platform. I remember that. And we knew, I mean, I basically wrote the plan, the 9999 plan, um, but we knew it was going to happen to the company. It was not a, I mean, it was self-evident on the spreadsheet, which is basically dripping red ink. And I was like, I probably shouldn't live here through this because I've already launched three platforms that Interesting. But there were some intuitive ideas on that thing, the little screen on the controller. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, it was a beautiful thing. They're great games. But, you know, yeah. just because it's a great product doesn't mean it's a business model that can survive, Fair which enough. in the end basically almost deep six the whole company. Um, yeah, from there, went back. I was recruited back to an agency that I'd worked at in Boston to start their California, San Francisco office. Okay. Did that. Big publicly traded company. Hated it. Uh, they were very good to me. Um, uh, they were very good to me. And, sure. um, but that company was being merged with another company. And in that annealment was just, ugh, I was just flying around the country, laying people off. Um, once they figured out who I was, I was like, oh, why is this? Anyway, that's a whole nother podcast with some drinks involved. <laughs> after 9-11, I know this is a long story, but after no, it's good. It's good. As I had been on a plane from New York or Newark to San Francisco one week earlier. Okay. And uh, here I was in this job that I really didn't like. I had two young kids. Um, and I was flying around the country. I mean, literally, by that time I was, had flown, by 9-11, 2001, I'd flown 150,000-ish miles. Wow. Wasn't that's really home. Didn't like the job. I was the last person standing because that's 2001. Everyone's losing their jobs in our business because we're in the, you know, in the technology. My husband, I'm the I'm the breadwinner in our house. I'm the chief bacon officer. He's the chief home officer. He's like, gotcha. don't lose your job. Oh my God, don't lose your job. <laughs> I was like, okay. And this company was very generous to me. They offered me seven jobs in this merger. And I just wow. finally took one. Um, but 9-11 happened. And um, 
it just brought everything very clear. I could have been on that plane, literally. I think I'm one of the only people I know of my age who what, didn't know somebody uh, who knew somebody on one of those uh, planes wow. or at the Pentagon. And um, I was like, I'm not going to do this anymore. So I thought, I, I was like, you know what? I'm going to exercise my contract. Uh, and I did. I My intention was to stay out of the workplace for a year. I'd never done that. I'd only been out for my um, maternity leaves. Um, my younger son, we had just figured out, has special needs. Uh, he, at the time, was not quite one. And uh, I was like, okay, we got to figure this out. So I thought I would spend a year sort of doing yoga, looking for myself, um, sure. trying to figure out what to do with my younger son in terms of what is he going to need, what is his path. Um, I did a lot of that, and then I drove my husband crazy. <laughs> and he said, one day he just came to me and goes, you know, if you don't go back to work, we are not going to make it. And he was right. I mean, I had five glue guns. I was, I was crafting. I was, you know, mommy dearesting. I was labeling sure. everything in the house. I'm like, oh my God. And um, decided I was going to look for a job that was like the one I had at Sega, not go back to the agency world was far down that path um, between two companies about, you know, basically maybe a week away from having to decide between two offers. When my mother got diagnosed with stage four lung cancer, my parents lived in Wisconsin. I lived in California and uh, I'm the oldest and we have two younger sisters, but they had less flexibility and less uh, ability to sort of go anywhere on the top of a hat. It was very, I mean, literally got the phone call, got on a plane, was in Wisconsin by the end of that day. And wow. Pulled myself after I saw my mom and my dad. I was like, pulled myself out of those two job hunts because I was going to be with my mom, however long sure. that was. Right? Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Ended up being uh, she was given four months to live um, that day, and uh, ended up living almost four years, which is a huge wow. gift. Yeah. Um, but in the but I realized I couldn't take a job that wasn't in Wisconsin. I wasn't going to move my you know there weren't that many options in Western Wisconsin at that time. There are many more today than there were then. Sure. Um, and decided I better start my own company because I need to be where I need to be. And yep. I like doing my job. I just didn't like the do, wait, doing it the way I had to do it at that other company. So I better start my own company and have my own rules that are that allow me to have success and allow me to be where I need to be. That was 16 years ago. And here we are. That was a very long story, but no, you asked. I, I, no, I did ask. I, sometimes the most fascinating stuff comes out of out of that, like just people's journey, right? Because yeah. I, I think, you know, a lot of people's success comes out of necessity or kind of lifestyle they want, or they kind of fall into it, or there's a handful of reasons, right? Like you never know where you're going to end up, right? And it's just, it's kind of what you make out of it, right? And I think it's also how you respond to events, small events, big sure. events, what you decide is important to you. Um, and I yeah. think it's the more, the earlier on in your life, you could decide what's important to you. Sure. No, <laughs> the, fair easier, the easier you have making decisions. 100% agree. So walk me through exactly what Double Forte is and what do you guys do? Sure. So Double Forte is a double. Uh, double Forte is a public relations and social media communications firm. Okay. Um, we didn't. We started before Twitter, so that social media part we added. Uh, Interesting. Like later <laughs> in later in our life. Sure. Um, and we work for um, consumer lifestyle, so food and bev, health and wellness, sports and fitness companies, uh, digital 
life companies, video games, obviously, video games, MR, VR, AR (laughs) companies, and professional services companies. um, And and we have a separate wine practice too, because wine works very differently than food and bev. Um, We work with those companies to help them engage with the customers they want to reach and the people they need to reach if they're partners or customers or consumers um, to tell their story. And we do it not in an app, we don't, um, we focus on content and the earned part. So when other people say good things about you, Mm -hmm. part of the equation and we don't do advertising. Oh, A lot of social media, a lot of content, a lot of media relations, a lot of influencer marketing, um, a lot of, uh, internal communications, sales communications. And, um, and today I actually started, when I started the firm, I didn't, I expressly didn't do crisis work because it never happens on Monday at 10, but probably <laughs> of our work is crisis work today. Cause every, every campaign needs a crisis, um, expertise in it. Which sure. Interesting. Okay. And, and then you guys also run a podcast. Why did you guys decide to start yes. that? And what do you guys cover? So we have, we've had three podcasts. Okay. We've um, put two on hiatus for a while. So our current podcast is Millennial Minded. Okay. And I started, we started this podcast out of a sort of an evolution. Okay. Um, a few years ago, no, not a lot of years ago. So eight years ago, 2011, 2010, somewhere in there, um, we were getting all these people, young people who were coming mm-hmm. to us to interview and they were failing dramatically. They couldn't even okay. get out the door without us, you know, putting the thumbs down. And Interesting. doing things that they should, in my, since I'm, you know, I'm older, it's like, wow, you know, someone told me those things. And I realized no one was saying these things anymore. Our companies were worried about being sued right, for telling people they had their hair wrong and that kind of stuff. And then it's a different generation, which I figured out the hard way as well. Interesting. Um, so one day I just said, okay, we're going to tell all those people we just rejected. We're going to tell them why. Okay. And interesting. The, per- the person who was responsible for that looked at me like, oh my God, I need to make 21 phone calls. I'm like, yeah, you do. 21 phone calls. Tell them why they're not going forward. Tell them that their resume sucked and it had lots of typos. Tell them that they came in with their head, you know, their phone on didn't, and they answered their phone call in the middle of an interview, and you can't do that. Tell them that uh, they shouldn't wear to a professional interview in an office that doesn't have a pole in it, a, sh- a skirt <laughs> that uh, sure. doesn't hide your back end. I mean, tell them where they fell down. And um, it can't be the only reason you don't hire anybody, but we were just sure. said, okay, here's the deal. You don't qualify because we can't put you in front of a client and here's the reasons why. And here's our suggestions. We wish you well, we hope you do better. Um, and we want you to succeed. Uh, and here's what we would do. You know, if I were you, here's what I would do. And probably 80% of the people were very receptive. Um, okay. 20% like, you know, give me the, gave us the finger, but sure. 80% of them over time, I mean, we had those 21 and then every single time we do this now. And I realized there was a, a hole in the market of not even in, just in the market. There was a hole in education. There's a hole in information where people, if you're going to apply to a job for us, we should tell you how to succeed. 
I mean, I can't even believe I'm saying that today, but that's the deal. So we started blogging on that and I was like, you know what, let's do a podcast on that. And that started at Everything Speaks, which is Everything Speaks About You and, and just different ways of doing it. In the middle of Everything Speaks podcast was these two guys, Paul and David, who gave um, millennial minded this little section of time that okay. was basically responding to what I was saying or interviewing in the front half and basically making fun of me. Um, Interesting. <laughs> we had so much great positive reaction to them. They have people like the content I was delivering, but they really loved the fact that, uh, David and Duncan got to make fun of me and then also got to pull the nuggets out in their own language. So then we turned that section into Millennial Minded and in Millennial Minded, another long answer, I'm so sorry. No, no, I it's love it. Interview show, they interview me. <clears throat> okay. Um, and they we spend a show on every topic. So things like, how do I get promoted? How do I make sure I don't not get promoted? How do I, sure. you know, what happens when I don't like my boss? Um, what happens when um, I'm not invited to meetings? How do I make sure that I'm presenting myself the right way? What if someone tells me to go change my clothes? You know, that kind of stuff. Um, and how do you get along with people you don't necessarily respect it? What if I want to quit? You know, those kinds of things. Sure. Um, and I just give my opinion based on um, 25 years of experience in big and small companies, internal and agencies, uh, working with lots and lots and lots of companies on these issues and writing a couple of books around leadership in today's world. Sure. No, I, and that kind of, well, that was going to be my next question, to be honest, is you wrote a book called uh, Millennials and Management, mm -hmm. The Essential Guide to Making It Work at Work. So obviously, I, I think I know the answer to this, like, what made you write the book? Because I'm 35, so I'm mm -hmm. just a millennial, I always say. Yep. But so I understand We're some of the millennial work. stuff mm -hmm. and some of it is completely foreign to me. Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of have my opinions and I'm going to ask you some thoughts on my some of my opinions and you can tell me your okay. thoughts. But what made you kind of write a book on, on this whole subject? Like, I think I know the answer, but just to dive a little bit deeper into that. Well, when I started the company in 2002, we only hired people with 10 years of experience. So by definition- Okay, why was that? Over 30. Well, it was 2002, there was, nobody was working in, in public yeah, relations. Okay. In San Francisco. You could swing a dead cat and hit 19 people qualified. Wow. Um, and I, frankly, I had just left an agency where 80, I had about 700 people, 80% of them were under the age of 30. Okay. And it was exhausting for different reasons <laughs> during the dot-com boom. Sure. I was like, I don't want to work with those people anymore. Those are basically Gen Xers. Interesting. Uh, I'm the last year of Boomer. So I'm also a cusper between Boomer and Xer. And you're a cusper between Xer and uh, sure. Millennial. Yeah. And um, it's like, you know what? It can't be that hard. There are all these people not working. We'll just hire people with 10 years of experience. I thought that I would not have to tell them what to do. I was wrong. Interesting. Um, because um, every, everyone needs leadership. Sure. But it was very much easier to get things. We got things done so much faster because everyone was experienced. Anyway, 2009, half, 2008 happens, 2009, everything's imploding. I look at our business model. I think you should always look at a business model when there is an event, financial event in your business, big, small, global, regional, local, whatever. And mm -hmm. I realized we were going to run out of people who had 10 years of experience because it was 2009. People didn't really get hired in our business between 2000 and 2004, 2005. There was no entry level people in that. And I, that's a generalization, but there weren't very sure. many. Sure. So we were about to run into a big donut hole where there'd be nobody with 10 years of experience. And my business belief is you should always be bringing people in at the bottom 
uh, not at the bottom, well, that's a terrible word to say, but at the least qualified position sure. yep. for your business because it brings new blood and it refreshes the oxygen and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh my God, we're not going to have any left. Also hiring people with 10 years of experience, very expensive proposition um, yeah. in terms for a model kind of, I was like, well, we should, we need to be thinking about the long term, and we need to start um, hiring college, recent college graduates. Didn't think anything of it. Because I had done it in my last job, I had 700, at SIG I had 650, 80% of them, of them were under 30. I was known for working well with young people, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I failed miserably, Kevin. Interesting, interesting. <laughs> miserably. Um, our first millennial uh, ended up doing well after she brought her dog into work that first day. Gotcha. But um, later, because it took us a while to hire lots of them, we hired six millennials within a couple weeks of each other. Okay. And they all were gone within three months. 100 wow. percent failure one of them we walked seven of them walked them uh, five of them walked themselves okay I was like, wow i've never had that happen in my whole career and i think it was the shock of the volume and the timing okay Maybe it happened like one at a time over a couple of years i wouldn't have noticed it but everything happened at the same time i was like wow we don't we hire good people we have a great hiring process it has to be what's happening here and that these people who didn't make it of their own volition or ours didn't i mean it was so it was just wrong for them and um i decided it had to be us not them like one person could be a bad hire but six sure that, right interesting so it, it's pretty self-aware of you though to figure that well, out well i think it was a shock it was the show sure. like holy crap what just happened um and i started researching it and everything was negative so this is 2010 2011. okay everything was so negative about millennials and today, 92% of millennials will say they're not millennials. And all millennial says is when you were born. Um, that's all it says, right? Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. You cannot generalize. And this is what I came to read. So I was reading all this stuff. It was all negative. Um, a, lot of negative a lot of negative people writing negative things about this younger generation, which here's my history, is not a new phenomena, right? Sure, Medieval history, exactly. a thousand, a thousand years of intergenerational conflict, and people were talking about millennials as if it has never happened before that we didn't <laughs> like the younger generation, right? <laughs> so uh, I decided um, to discard everything I'd read and start from scratch to figure it out. Interesting. Uh, so I interviewed lots of, not in the thought of writing a book, just to like make my business succeed. Because if you don't have a millennial in your business, you don't have a future in your business. And soon that'll be true for Gen Z too. Right. So did all this research, talked to so many people, interviewed people, interviewed clients, interviewed um, recent graduates, interviewed the people who left us, uh, just probably a couple hundred interviews. And we wow. sort of, we put things in place here and it was trial and error, trial and error. And then we finally cracked the code. In 2012, the average tenure of somebody under 26, yeah, 27, something like that, in San Francisco was 13 months. That is sure. brutal on a business, brutal. Yep. So I was like, what if I can just keep them twice as long? So what if okay. 26 months is my goal? Sure. 26 months became my goal. Today we keep people, and there's you know there's a lot of opportunity. We keep people around. Uh, our average tenure for people under 30 is about five years. Wow! So that become <clears throat> that. So I, we learn something, you know, sure. and trial, you know, trial and error, trial and error, and then a lot of that work because leadership is communication. It is just communication, and it's also I mean and philosophy, right? But 
communicating that philosophy. Um, and that ended up being the work I was doing with my clients. I work with them on the very strategic pieces and um, uh, CEOs in our client pool are having the same problems. And then finally someone said, why don't you just write a book, Lee? It'd be much easier. It'd be cheaper for me if you wrote a book. I'm like, not really. <laughs> so um, I was like, oh, that's a, I don't know if anyone wants to hear from me. I have a teeny weeny company. You know, it's just 35 people. No, Lee, you should write a book. So I had it in the back of my head. And then I was meeting with a publisher for something totally different. And she okay. was having an issue with her younger staff. And I, she sort of, we got interrupted. And she was like, oh my God, these millennials. And I said, oh, what's the matter? And uh, she tells me, and I was like, oh, how about this? Did you try that? Did you try this? She really, you know, based on my experience and my interviews. She goes, you have interviews? I'm like, yeah, this is what happened. We're trying to fix things. She goes, I will publish that book. And I'm like, what book are you talking about? <laughs> and uh, so that's how it came. That's amazing though. That's cool. Thanks for listening to Building the Future. This show is heard by more than a million people monthly in over 15 markets worldwide, including Silicon Valley. Kevin Horick's guests are leading business owners, successful entrepreneurs, and merchandisers worldwide. Now, your brand has an opportunity to tap into this dedicated and active group of business people who are looking for places to invest and the right opportunities to support. Find out how you can get involved at buildingthefutureshow.com. So I, I want to dive a little bit deeper into that because like I, I told you a few minutes ago, I'm millennial myself, but yes. the, the thing that. Well, you're well, the older millennial. There are three the sets older of millennials. millennials. Uh, yes. There that's, are three sets of fair. millennials. The, the thing that I find the best about the whole thing is mm -hmm. the bar is set so low for you. <laughs> so like if you put in a little bit of effort, people yeah. are like blown away. So like, in some ways, I think it's actually worked to my advantage to be pigeonholed as that, right? <laughs> and I think it's funny because it's like the bar, like I said, the, the bar, bar so low. And I just based on no research whatsoever, I'm pretty sure every generation ever has had people that have, you know, been super motivated, completely unmotivated and everything in between, right? So You are correct, sir. Yeah. So, <laughs> right? So. The, the thing that I find fascinating about the whole thing as a millennial is, and, and give me your thoughts on this because it's probably, some people are probably going to hate me for it. But <laughs> if, if you're trying to, even in your case, like get a job, your company, mm -hmm. like double forte, if I don't appeal to what you guys are looking for, then I'm doing myself a disservice because I Correct. probably won't get a job or at any other company. Right. Mm -hmm. And so Sure, I could have my own opinions about that I should be able to wear whatever I want to wear or do whatever I want to do. Or I, I, and I learned this a few years ago, and I'll tell you the story in a second, but like I'm almost doing myself a disservice because, like, I used to do some freelance work for a, an older guy in his 60s. He hated people with like piercings and tattoos, and I don't have either one of those things, but he used to complain mm -hmm. about that all the time. Mm -hmm. And I always kind of wanted to get like a, a whole sleeve done. And that's a whole other story. But like, mm -hmm. part of me is like, if I want to keep working for this guy, should, should I cover, if I had a tattoo, should I cut, like wear long sleeves all the time so he can't see that because mm -hmm. he's going to judge me for that and potentially like end the relationship. And it just because I think that's ridiculous and stupid and kind of archaic of him, like 
it's kind of on me to meet his expectations. Do you know what I'm getting at there? Yes. <laughs> like, like well, what are your is, thoughts right? on that? Because you're kind of selling yourself out, but at the same time, it's like, if you really want to keep doing something with somebody or get investment from somebody, if you know they don't like something, like, should you change yourself to kind of appease that? I don't think people should change themselves. I do think people should give okay. themselves options. Okay, so, interesting. The option on the tattoo is don't get it on your face. <laughs> right? Fair enough. Yeah. Don't have it on your neck. Yeah. So don't have it on the bottom near your wrist. So you can cover it up. So you have options because okay. it is true in business and in life, but in business, uh, we are required to have other people work with us. Yep. Very few people. Okay, our president notwithstanding. Sure. Very yep. few people <laughs> and do everything they want to do, um, particularly at the beginning of their career, and not and without the thought about how other people are going to react. So um, this was true for me. I, I, I tell a story about uh, my own early career um, around how I looked. And uh -huh. finally, um, and I actually didn't talk about it for 25 years until I wrote this down. Wrote it in the book because it's so gut wrenching. It still makes my heart like, oh God, I can't believe that. But basically, I didn't present myself well. I was wearing inappropriate clothes, and I wasn't wearing things like up my butt. But you know, I just wasn't putting together the professional um, profile that the agency wanted me to. Like, I wasn't paying attention to what my bosses were wearing at all. I was like, oh, okay. this is good, or this was fancy, or look you know, oh my gosh, I love this hairstyle, you know, and I was working in high tech and there are a lot of people who are very, um, in Boston, not in San Francisco, okay. who are very conservative. And finally, you know, my boss thought she was telling me and I wasn't hearing it. Okay. Uh, she took me out to dinner and she said, um, you're not going to get promoted until you can, uh, look the part. And uh, that means everything, Lee. It means, I mean, she didn't say it this, she said it much nicer than I'm saying it right now. Sure. But it means your clothes, it means your makeup, it means your hair, it means your shoes, it means how you put yourself together. And I burst into tears at this restaurant and she was very sure. generous. She put, we went to a very dark restaurant and no one could see me, but that was the deal. I had, until someone told me, I had no idea, right? So we do, you know, all of us, you know, when I go sell my agency, if the person who is making the decision to sign a contract with us doesn't like how we show up, doesn't think we're being respectful to what their standards are, uh, we're not going to sign that contract. And my yeah. business is dependent on contracts. So yeah. finding those like-minded people is important. So I think that it's, I'm not asking people to, and that's in a new business perspective from running a company like this one, sure. yep. we have to find the people who are going to where we can succeed, right? So we yeah. have a, but that doesn't mean everyone can just do what they want. And yeah. you're gonna have more success. And by success, I mean options where you're not gonna be hemmed into a corner, which I think is what I value, not being hemmed into a corner. Um, when you are observant about, mm -hmm. you wanna work for this company, why? What's, you know, maybe it's your dream job. Maybe it's you love the company. Maybe you um, want to have this experience. Maybe it's a boss who can, you know, who can get you a job, whatever it is. But you do have to work with other people. And they, um, if they are paying you, they are in a position of uh, being able to tell you many things that they, you can and cannot do. 
Do I think you have to give yourself up? I do not. Okay. Interesting. Sort of compromise. Well, you do have to, um, maybe it's not, I I guess it's a compromise. You know, if you feel strongly that you should be fully tattooed, you know, your life is, you know, where you are most comfortable in your skin is when you are fully tatted, uh, which I have a lot of friends who are fully tatted. I'm like, me too. Not a deal. Right. I don't really care. Um, then you are choosing, you're saying, okay, I'm going to be fully tatted because that is who I am. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's going to accept you. Yeah. And, and it's going to be potentially harder. Right. Yeah. And because it's a choice, like, I don't think sexuality is a choice. I don't think being transgender is a choice. I don't think those things are choices. Right. But sure. being Agreed, tattooed yeah. is a choice. Sure. So yeah. when you choose to do things because they are, are a part of you, you do take yourself out of, um, the market with the people who don't agree or don't value the same things you do early in your career. Should you know who you're going to go talk to? Should you so, go feel, figure out what they, you know, what is, what are they wearing on their website? Uh, do you know, does anybody have tattoos on the website? Do you know people who have tattoos there? Whatever it is. And I have written several blogs on this topic. I don't have a problem with tattoos. Um, but at all. Yeah. I have a problem with placement of tattoos because okay, I can't, sure. yeah. If someone has a tattoo on their face, I can only take them to certain kinds of clients. Our client base is very wide. So um, if I were in music, entertainment, it wouldn't be an Mm -hmm. issue. Well, it would be for some companies, but not, you know. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I need to have flexibility and I can't have flexibility if someone chooses to have a face tattoo. So that's my business. There's a lot of, you know, knowing and being self-aware for a generation that was told they can do whatever they want. Yeah. So that, I think that's the disconnect. Yeah, no, that's interesting because that's the thing that I, I've kind of had this conversation with people before. And it's like, whether it's right or wrong or you, whatever you believe, like sometimes you have to get rid of that, right? And mm-hmm. like, I'm not saying, it, I'm not necessarily agreeing with the older guy that I was doing work for years ago. It's like, I, I actually kind of, part of the reason I stopped doing work for him because I didn't really like his views on some things. But like, right. at the end of the day, it's like, if you want to keep working for that person or get investment from that person or whatever, his choice, his money. like it, it's his choice. Like, and right. just seeing it from the other side is I think sometimes people don't think about it like that. Right. Yeah. I agree. Um, so I'm, I'm curious. Well, that's what happened with, you know, all these people, when we started this, everything speaks thing, right. Mm-hmm. I should be able to wear my sunglasses on the top of my head. And I, you know, I was like, well, in this company that says you're disrespectful. That's what that means. Sure. Yeah. I should be able to wear, I should be able to answer the phone. And what if it's important? There's actually nothing more important right in this moment, unless someone could die and you know it, uh, than talking to me for your career. <laughs> yeah. And just being really um, blunt about it so that people can hear it. Sometimes if you, what, in my own experience, I realized that um, people don't hear what they don't want to hear unless sure. you knock them over the head with it. So um short of, uh, you know, body checking somebody, (laughs) (laughs) try to give the very, here is why that matters. Your choice. You're not qualified. So, you know, that that's our point of view on that. No, that makes sense. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause like even something as simple as like, I, my, I remember my grandfather, he's not with us anymore, but like wearing a hat at the dinner Mm, table was like one of those things that like, yeah, like it was, and you know the teenage me was just like who cares like i what is the big deal yeah. but like 
every time you went to like their house for dinner and it you could just see it bugged him when he was like at my parents house for dinner and like it was fine <laughs> yeah but like well, looking back time, on that <laughs> yeah so next time you go to a fancy you know a white tablecloth restaurant look around yeah and see who has a hat on and see what the other people are looking at him like yeah it's interesting right so I, I want to kind of dive more into this in a second, but you wrote a second book. What exactly is it and, and why did you decide to write that one? So the second book is called The Boomerang Principle, The, Essent uh, the Essential Guide, <laughs> How to Inspire Lifetime Loyalty from Your Employees. And the concept here is in this, um, in, we sh is that if companies and organizations encourage and allow their former employees to return to them as employees, they okay. have a strategic advantage over those that don't. Interesting. And until just very recently, um, maybe in the last year, or I guess 20 something months, over 50% of companies in uh, America had policies either written or implied that um, did not allow people to be get rehired. Really? And um, I think this is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. And I think it's done for lots of reasons. And basically what I found, I was doing all these workshops around the country, keynotes. I still do a lot of this work. Um, you know, I have a real passion for helping people understand each other and like work together positively. And invariably, every single meeting, someone would go up, stand up, someone my age or older, or maybe a little younger, but you know, and say, you know what, I'm not going to train these people because my, one of the biggest things um, that's valuable is really putting training in early, early, early for uh, the younger, our younger colleagues as okay. soon as possible. And many companies actually save their best training for the people who have been there for a long time or who are in management. Right. And probably should invert that is my point of view. Interesting. And this woman, the first time this happened, she stood up, she goes, you know what? I'm not going to train these people. I had to put all that effort in and they're going to job hop. They're dead to me. Why am I going to, I already know they're going to leave. I'm like, oh my gosh. And I said, I looked at her, I said, I'm so sorry that whatever happened that you got this point of view. And basically everywhere I went, someone had that point of view. And I realized I, you know, what we, we needed to flip the paradigm on this dead to me thing. Okay. So, Why is that? Because many things. So let me tell you a few things, right? So right. Our, our American dream, the, you know, the, the implied contract, I work hard for you, you take care for care of me mm -hmm. you know, has been broken. It's been broken for a long time, but really it starts changing in uh, early eighties when uh, publicly traded companies start doing layoffs for layoffs for shareholder value, not for just profit. Right. Right. Not for sustainability. And then basically the nail hits the um, coffin, the last nails in the coffin in 2008, 2009 mm -hmm. when, you know, just 8 million, 9 million people in this country were laid off because yep. They had to be because there was no money, but a lot of companies did not have to lay off as many people as they did, sure. right? But yep. they and the publicly traded ones had to give that share value, shareholder value. Mm -hmm. Well, <clears throat> we've broken that thing, right? Number one. Number two, millennials. Um, so your age, millennial, actually had jobs before two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. Yep. Right. Yep. Back in um, the day. Back in the day. <laughs> and most millennials who had jobs then didn't lose their jobs. Most. Interesting. So the bulk of the people who, the bulk of those eight, nine million people were boomers and late Gen Xers. Right. And, um, and then they had a really hard time. It's been 10 years, a really hard time finding work, right? Mm -hmm. At the same level or who would pay them the same. And basically 
three or four levels in our in our uh, enterprises were stripped out in 2009 2010 Interesting. there are still people who haven't caught up right yeah where that's they were. fair i mean millions of people haven't caught up to where they were yeah. so millennials are uh the next set of millennials coming into the workforce in 2010 you know, they had a yeah. hard time finding work because there wasn't any work to be had. And at the same time, their parents and the economy is telling them, do not stay at a job forever. Go in and if they don't train you, get out, right? Because you can come live at home, 37%. In 2010, 41% of working millennials lived at home with their parents. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> because uh, that company's not going to take care of you. And if yeah. they don't start taking care of you, like give you the training, give you what you need to be successful, uh, don't stay, right? Yeah, and it was very a, much so, yeah. This negative circle, not a virtuous circle, a negative circle. That's one thing. So we already know millennials are going to stay in their jobs much shorter periods of times than particularly boomers ever anticipated. And we also know that boomers, their millennials will be working much longer than boomers did. So the, if you were born today, you'll probably have a 65-year career. Yeah, I crazy, thought right? I was going to retire at 50. That sort of okay. came and went because that's what boomers <laughs> thought. We'd sure. be on the beach at 50. Millennials know that they're yeah. going to be working until they're 80. That's a yeah. whole different prospect. That's yeah. a whole different prospect of thinking about a career. And they also know in our, you know, um, attention span of a, of a gnat world <laughs> that they are not going to be excited about something and being in one career and one company for their whole lives. I mean, it doesn't make sense to them. Right. So, yeah, no, um, I, I, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I, I think okay. the perfect example of that, I remember I was like, I don't know, grade eight, whatever age that is. Like I can't mm -hmm. even do the math. Like 13, um, 14. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. And like, I remember my dad worked government most of his career and, mm -hmm. um, I remember looking at him one day and I said, like, clearly he hated it. I knew he hated his job. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just said to him, like, how have you done it for so long? Yeah. And his response was, you just do it. And I was like, right. wow, that's one of the most depressing things I think I've ever mm -hmm. heard. And that's always kind of sat with me. Like, I still remember that conversation like it was yesterday. And that was, you know, 20 years ago. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, and, and that's so the, that was a that was a mentality of that of my generation yeah because the company the company and the government you did work for pension you did yeah if you just put your time in you did you know boomers are called the wait my turn generation because there's sure. so many of us during incredible expansion of the economy sure right? incredible never been before in america in the north america this 25 years of a dramatic expansion at the same time as there's millions of people that need to get employed. I mean, it all works for us boomers, right? And sure. if you just waited, you get promoted because someone else is going to get promoted and the economy was growing. So someone else had an opportunity. You just waited, you just sort of floated up. And you sort of got to that level where you needed to crack through. And some people did and some people didn't. Millennials live in a very different world. Sure. Very different world. You live in a very different world. Yep. But millennials in particular, younger, youngest millennials are in a very different world where businesses have been legacy businesses are being disrupted every day that um, jobs that you get today will not exist in five years sure the same way that you'll recruit somebody with very, you know in my agency an account coordinator account executive account executive is a better example an account executive today that we recruit has entirely different skill set than the account recorder account executive we recruited five years ago so they already know that's going to change and if you're not in a, in a company that's making sure your people are relevant, well, then 
you're going to get very stale skills very quickly. And if you have this point of view that if you're dead to me, you know, if they leave you, they have been disloyal and you can never come back. Well, then you're shrinking the talent pool from which you can pull uh, do over time because everyone's been working longer. Mm -hmm. Our businesses are all going to change and you'll need different skills from those people. And wouldn't it be better for your business if you had people come back to you after learning something new, understanding your culture and being able to bring more things back to you um, because they were out in the world than just staying in your company and being uh, pretty silo minded. Um, And that is sustainable. That's sustainability because we are still, no matter what happens with AI, no what happens with robotics, no matter what happens with disruption, all of us are competing for those top 25% of people. And those top 25% of people have more options. They can do gigs, they can be employed, they can start their own companies today like they could never do before. So that top 25% of talent is driving this. And the other piece of that is loyalty is not when I pay you, Kevin. Okay. If I pay you, you show up. That is the contract, right? Yeah. Loyalty is when you're out there in the world and you do something for the company or a person that you do not have to do, that you are not expecting payment from, that there is no quid pro quo from. But if I go away from here and I say, um, uh, I go away from the company, I go, you know what? I just met Joe. Joe would be awesome at Devil Forte. I'm going to give Lee a call. That's loyalty. Yeah, not when I pay you and you do a good job, you're supposed to do a good job. And by the way, showing up is not work. Showing up is not a skill, you know. So <laughs> Agreed. we yes. shift our point of view about what loyalty in the workplace means. Loyalty in the workplace means, does actually the most loyal act an employee can do is mm-hmm. leaving when they're no longer excited and driven by the mission of the company. Interesting. I would agree with you, but I think a lot of employers probably wouldn't say that. Is that fair to say? Um, you know, when I say, when I talk to CEOs, I do a lot of talking. Sure. Obviously do a lot of talking. Sorry. <laughs> no, never no, end nobody podcast. wants to hear the host. <laughs> no one's ever going to, they're going to be like, we're on three hours, Lee, are you going to shut up? It's anyway, good, I talk good. a lot to CEOs uh, in my work and then in my speaking and stuff and nobody shake. Well, I shouldn't say nobody. When I say this, a lot of, you know, either people already get it and they're like, well, duh, or more often what happens is light bulbs go off. Yeah. And, um, you know, when I hire somebody, I know they're going to leave. Okay. I actually tell them all when they meet with me, they, everybody here knew meets with me in the first two weeks. Okay. And one of the first things I say is, I'm so happy you're here. I know you're going to leave me. <laughs> and they look at me like crazy, like, Leah, I just got here. Why are you talking about leaving? I talk about it so because I know. I mean, we shouldn't pretend that people aren't going to ha- don't have their own dr- dreams. Maybe some of the people come here and they want to start their own companies. Well, they can't do that if they're employed by me, or they are going to change their minds or whatever you know what they want to do in their career. And I tell them the most important thing to me as the owner and leader of this company, the CEO of this company, is that when you leave here, hopefully it's in a long time, hopefully it's no time soon, sure. that Double Forte stays on your resume. And interesting important sure. to you to sure. be able to it's so important to you that you're proud of your work here you're proud of proud of um your relationships you built here proud of the skills that you learned here proud of what you were able to do from here that you leave it on your resume because if you leave it on your resume in today's world that's an endorsement 
Totally interesting. I, yeah, no, you're totally right. Cause there, there's definitely places that people like will omit from it. Right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like what did yeah. you do for those five years? Oh, I went to Siberia. I mean, oh my God. <laughs> so in fact, in fact, one of the co-hosts from millennial minded Duncan, yeah. his last episode was last weekend, I think. Yeah. His last, he started his career here. He got an internship, worked here for five years Yeah. and was doing great, doing great. But I knew this wasn't what he wanted to do, you know, but five years is a long time for someone who's 28, sure. right? A yeah. long time. And basically, you know, he's interviewing me every week and I'm saying, well, five years is a long time. And, <laughs> but he went and got a job that is perfect for him right now. Okay. It won't be perfect for him forever. I can't imagine, but sure. it's perfect for him. It's outdoors. It's more create. It's more creative the way he wants to be creative. It's he's frankly not qualified for this job. Uh, in the way that a woman would feel he needed to be qualified. That's another podcast. And, okay. But it's perfect for him. How excited I am for him that he found the perfect job. I'm excited. And that he gets to go to that job because of the work he did here at this great company. I think it's a great company. They're doing great things. It's really aligned with what he values in his life. You know, it's in the outdoor space. You know, um, they do work with a lot of surfers. He's a surfer. I mean, really sure. aligned. How proud I am! How proud can I be that he came here was able to do that? Oh my gosh! To me, I win because he did that. I'm very sad that he left. I sure. miss Duncan, but I take that as a victory for Double Forte. Yeah, it, it, but like you, you have to be in the minority mindset as a business owner. I am. In this, right? Like, so how do you kind where of? I live. I live in the. I live in this space where it doesn't have to suck. And yeah, interesting. We but all how do you have keep, our own goals. But how do you keep that mindset or keep pushing yourself out mm -hmm. of your current mindset? Because that's what you've been doing your whole career then, right? Mm -hmm. It is. Uh, you know, I'm a voracious reader. I'm just super okay. curious. Okay. And I think, um, you know, my business almost went down a couple of times because I wasn't paying attention. Like our business changed, our business has changed 19 times in 16 years. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah, sure. I can Meaning even imagine. What's happened, right? We, did, yeah. we started before Twitter. We started before LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Oh my gosh, 60% of our business is in those platforms today. Um, Interesting. And I was like, oh, you know, and uh, other things were happening in my life. I was sick for a time, blah, blah, blah. So I didn't keep my eye on that ball. And, um, and that's another podcast. And, <laughs> When I, then I realized, oh my gosh, you know, uh, I still have the same, I've been saying that I want this to be an important job for you since I started the company. That's nothing new just because of this generation. That's, that's been standard for me since I started the company, but <clears throat> you got to keep learning. We're all going to be working longer than we thought. When I say all, I mean, 99% of us, <laughs> you know, some of the, you know, what the media likes to talk about is the exception to the rule. Um, most of us be working longer than we thought. Most of us want to be happy in our work <laughs> and yeah. it does not need to suck. It doesn't, it doesn't. And the most efficient workplaces are the ones that are the, that are the most positive. So if I can help anybody just be more positive in their day and find uh, ways to positively uh, resolve conflict and understand that they're that they have tremendous value and under and help leaders understand that their job is not to tell everybody what to do their job is to coach people to be their best all that kind of stuff then i have um you know fulfilled my mission on this planet which is to help great people do great things um 
and I happened to have fallen into this career because my friend Ramona told me it would be a good thing. Uh, where I, I'm in the right career for myself. I'm super fortunate on that. And then I'm able as the leader to, and as in a, a community of CEOs, to be able to share what I've learned the very hard way. Nothing is easy here. I'm, I, maybe this sounds like it's all unicorns and flowers. Oh my God, no. <laughs> You're in Silicon Valley. Oh That's all it is, right? <laughs> oh no. Oh my God. You know, it's the pit of despair if you ask other people. Yeah, interesting. Um, you know, and uh, I think the people who are going to be the most successful are in leadership are people who are voracious learners, people who are generally optimistic and who have very high expectations for the people around them because they believe in them. And um, those, the books are ways for me to share that at, at scale. Um, so, and you know, that's what I do. No, I, I think I that's great. I a lot here, Kevin, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, nobody wants to hear me talk. I, I think it's good, but we, we are out of time. So <laughs> shockingly, we're out of time. No, track. no, no, it's good. We we should probably we could probably go on for another three, four. We'll do like a little mini series. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but but let's close the show with mentioning where people can get more information about um double forte, the books and you know, your speaking and your workshops and everything else you guys are doing. Sure. So you can go to leecareher.com, L-E-E-C-A-R-A-H-E-R.com. You can find my books there, my speaking. I blog there on all these topics. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at, at leecareher. Um, and double forte is double hyphen forte.com, the agency. Perfect. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show. And I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. Thank you so much, Kevin. What a great time to be with you. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com. And keep building the future.